Chapter Seven of That Affair at Portstead Manor by Gladys Edson Locke. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Surmises and suspicions. He landed with a jarring shock and lost count of time and space from that moment until he became vaguely aware of a pair of strong and rough hands that shook him by the shoulder. Next instant he felt himself drifting, rising, dragged along through space, and finally let fall with a cruel jar by those same strong, rough hands upon some hard, unyielding substance which he took to be the floor. Again he lost himself in void, and then, half-conscious, grew dimly irritated at a sudden glare of light beating into his face. Again a hand shook him by the shoulder, but this time gently, though none the less determinately, and the light burned into his eyes persistently. He heard his name called from a distance, and pushing open his heavy lids, stared up into the pale, concerned face of Mary Gray, who was bending over him, candle held aloft. She met his wondering gaze with a little flashing smile of relief. "'I was really getting worried, Mr. Clavering.' He sat up with caution, and the effort cost him a groan. He feared his head would burst, and the dark wainscoting was all starred with flecks of light. Slowly his vision cleared and it all came back to him, the slamming of the door in the north wing, the crashing blow, the fall. He looked about him painfully for the stairs down which he had thudded. In an access of bewilderment, he caught at Mary Gray's slim hand. There were no stairs above him, only the corridor stretching straight beyond in the gray dimness of the coming dawn. Before him, in the candlelight, he made out the curve of the circular stairs, the circular stairs which led down to the library. How did he come there, was the question that whirled through his throbbing head. Then he remembered those strong, rough hands that had gripped and raised him. He turned accusingly to Mary Gray. She was regarding him with a curious intensity. "'Did you carry me here?' he demanded. She rose to her feet, and drawing her slender figure to its full height, glanced down scathingly at Mr. Clavering's undeniable rotundity. "'Do I look as though I could carry you anywhere?' He was obliged to admit that she did not. "'But someone carried me here from the north wing stairs,' he maintained. A light broke over Mary Gray's face. It seemed to him that mirth shone in her eyes. "'What sort of gyrations were you performing on the north wing stairs?' she queried. Mr. Clavering pulled himself with difficulty to his feet and steadied himself against the wall, his head whirring like a top and the wainscoting again star-flecked. "'Miss Gray!' he made answer at length, with a kind of desperate dignity. I have been taught the painful lesson that the reward of the detective is rarely proportionate to the dangers he incurs. She gave a little low, amused laugh. So you have been prying in the north wing, she cried. Investigating, Miss Gray, he corrected. Well, I wouldn't do it again if I were you, she smiled. In view of the injuries he had sustained, Mr. Clavering thought it hardly likely that he would. He put his hand to his forehead. There was an ugly protuberance jutting over his brows. He was sure that his nose was broken, and there was another even larger swelling on the back of his head. "'Am I very badly disfigured?' he inquired anxiously. Mary Gray, to do her justice, this time controlled her twitching lips. "'Brown paper soaked in vinegar, I think, might improve your appearance,' she parried demurely. Mr. Clavering stiffly rejected the idea of brown paper and vinegar, and was about to remark that Arnica would probably be sufficient, when there sounded a ponderous knocking through the manor. It was the doctor and the coroner arriving together. 
With them was a detective from Scotland Yard. While these officials were making their examinations, Mr. Clavering repaired to his room, and with the solicitous aid of Jenkins, his valet, attempted to remove the marks of his investigation. But the more effort expended, the uglier and bigger grew the swellings. With a sigh, he bade Jenkins desist. He glanced in the mirror and groaned aloud. "'Jenkins,' he asked sadly, "'am I recognizable?' Jenkins coughed discreetly. "'I, I shouldn't like to venture an opinion, sir.' Just then a servant came with the announcement that the coroner was conducting a preliminary inquiry in the library and desired Mr. Clavering's presence. Mr. Clavering felt that it was a very unpleasant place to conduct the inquiry, and on the way there, passing Lord Portstead's chamber, to which his body had been removed, he was so obsessed by the horror of what had happened that he forgot his disfigurements. He was reminded of them by the gasp of astonishment that arose when he stepped into the library. Conscious that every eye was on the black and yellow protuberance that even he could see, he slunk into a chair behind Lord Meldrum. Mary Grey came in then to say that Lady Pevensey was in a state of hysteria that forbade her being present. Mr. Clavering saw the detective give a little start at the sight of Mary Grey. He noticed also that a faint pink stole into her cheeks and that the glance she gave him conveyed some message apparently of appeal. So, he thought, she is known to Scotland Yard. He was not surprised, but, well, yes, he did feel vaguely sorry. She was an attractive young woman, after all. Lady Ursula was the last to appear. She did not come as the others had through the main door from the lower hall, but she dragged slowly down the circular stairs, her nerves evidently at the snapping point. Though conventionality decreed that the high-bred woman stifle her emotions under a mask of impassable calm, Lady Ursula had long passed the stage where conventionality could be obeyed. The change that these few hours had wrought in her was pitiful. Her face was intensely pale, but it was the utter hopeless misery and brooding horror in her eyes that struck Mr. Clavering so forcibly. Lord Meldrum sprang forward and placed a chair for her. She took it in silence, giving him a peculiar look, questioning and fearful. It affected him deeply, and he turned away to hide his emotion. The coroner, out of consideration for Lady Ursula's state of collapse, put as few questions as possible to her. In fact, she had little to tell. Worrying over the theft of Lady Pevensey's necklace, she had sat up late, had heard the report of a pistol, and fearing she knew not what, had gone downstairs to investigate. "'Did your ladyship go down by these circular stairs?' suddenly interrupted Burton, the detective. Inspector Burton was a youngish man with keen, aggressive eyes and a bulldog set to his jaw. Mr. Clavering, surprised at the question, saw Mary Grey lean forward in her chair and scan Lady Ursula's face. As for Lady Ursula, she gave Burton a quick, startled look and answered hastily, "'Why, why, no, I went down the main stairway. Why should you ask?' "'Oh,' replied Burton easily, unabashed by the coroner's frown at his officiousness. A servant told me that your room was very near the circular stairs, and I noticed that you just now came down them. Lady Ursula went a shade paler. When I heard the shot, I came down the main stairs, she reiterated tonelessly. Mr. Clavering gripped the arm of his chair. Was she telling the truth? To go down the main stairway, she must have passed his door, and he was certain— that no one had passed it between the time of the shot and his opening of the door. If she had passed it afterwards, how came she downstairs before anyone else, 
when he had no recollection of seeing her in the halls. She had come out from the drawing-room. Could she have been downstairs before the shot? He felt a cold chill running over him. He tried resolutely to banish the ugly thought, but it refused to be banished. Through a cloud of distorted fancies, he heard the coroner put some questions concerning the discovery of the body. Mary Gray was able to give the best account, cool and concise. He felt that there was something unnatural about her composure, something unwomanly. Not having wide acquaintance with the modern, nerveless young woman, he believed that more or less hysteria was only woman's prerogative upon a harrowing occasion like this. For a woman to be even more composed than the men argued that she must be abnormal and unsexed. The coroner took a few notes upon Mary Gray's testimony, but he seemed anxious to make the next train back to the city. He gave some instructions to Burton, set the public inquest for Tuesday week, and after gravely shaking hands with Lady Ursula, took his departure, accompanied by the doctor. "'May I ask your ladyship just one or two more questions?' interposed Burton as she was about to leave the room. Lady Ursula paused, one slippered foot on the circular stairs, almost a hunted look in her eyes. Meldrum went over quickly and stood by her side. Mr. Clavering fancied that she shrank a little. "'Can't you see,' demanded Meldrum indignantly, "'that her ladyship needs rest and quiet. You must not torture her with questions now.' But Lady Ursula drew herself up with something of her usual stateliness. She would not give way to weakness before this obtrusive police official. "'I am quite well,' she said calmly. "'What do you wish to ask me, Mr. Burton, I believe?' The detective stepped nearer. "'Your ladyship has a younger brother,' he said with deliberation. "'Has he been notified yet of the tragic happening that has brought him into the title and estates of the late Earl of Portstead?' In spite of herself, Lady Ursula shivered. "'Not yet.' "'I have been told,' pursued Burton, "'that Mr. Robert Sylvester has been here for a day or so. May I ask where he is now?' Lady Ursula was watching the detective curiously. "'I don't know,' she admitted faintly. Elsie Baring suddenly pressed forward. "'Why should it matter to you, Mr. Burton, where Robert Sylvester is now?' Burton turned his keen, hard eyes upon her. She faced him, trembling, but with a certain defiance in her attitude, and repeated her question. "'Why?' answered Burton, with a drawling enunciation, peculiarly at variance with his general aspect of alert aggressiveness. I simply thought it was Mr. Robert Sylvester's place to be here and help his sister bear up. That is not what you thought, she contradicted hotly. But I tell you, you are wrong, wrong. Bursting into tears, she fled from the room. Lady Ursula stared after her sadly, Meldrum in complete dismay. Mr. Clavering began to wish that Meldrum would learn to mask his emotions. One after another, they chased across his mobile face, making it an open book for all to read. But what contradictory reading! Burton appeared to find it interesting, for he abruptly shifted his gaze from Elsie Baring's vanishing figure to Meldrum. "'Lord Meldrum,' he began in his slow, deliberate way. "'Miss er, Gray,' his hesitancy over her name, struck Mr. Clavering at once. "'Miss Gray, in the clear account she gave of the finding of Lord Portstead's body, stated that you came into the library by the garden door, which was open.' and that Lord Portstead's secretary shortly afterwards informed you that important government papers were missing. "'I informed Lord Meldrum that they were stolen!' burst out Harry Brooks explosively. "'So you did, Brooks,' said Meldrum quietly, but the quick flush that covered his face belied his composure. "'And it is my advice that nothing be said yet about the loss of the papers.' 
theft of the papers corrected harry brooks fiercely meldrum nodded forbearingly in any case it can do no good to take the world into our confidence a secret search will be far more likely to bear fruit well i think you're right about that lord meldrum remarked burton and jotted down a few more notes but brooks was not satisfied he seemed to be possessed of vindictiveness toward meldrum if i were a detective he said significantly i should ask lord meldrum what he was doing outside the garden door at two o'clock in the morning lady ursula caught her breath sharply meldrum flushed again but he showed no anger rather a sort of tolerant contempt for the secretary you are overwrought brooks he said with a touch of class hauteur it might be just as well lord meldrum insinuated burton softly if you would tell us what you were doing out in the garden lord meldrum hesitated lady ursula's eyes sought his fearfully there was a painful silence at last meldrum said quickly and somewhat incoherently i had a late interview in the library with lord portstead i felt unable to sleep after it and i went out into the garden leaving the door open unexpectedly demanded mary gray meldrum turned toward her in surprise i do not remember burton was taking notes rapidly now brooks edged nearer lord meldrum there was no mistaking his hatred of the blonde giant towering above him i should like to know if this interview was an unpleasant one he asked with a ring of triumph in his voice lady ursula clutched meldrum's arm from his splendid height he looked down upon the little secretary as though he would have crushed him that brooks is no affair of yours he said sternly burton closed his memorandum with a snap thank you very much lady ursula for putting up with me so long I don't think I've got any more questions to ask just now. I guess I've got enough here. He gave his little book an affectionate slap. I guess I've got enough here to keep me ruminating for a while. End of chapter 7